Welcome to Top Deck Insight, our podcast on all things Magic the Gathering. I'm Sam, followed by my co-host Josh and Sarah. We're three friends who love MTG, and we've created this podcast to share our experience with you. If you like what we do, you can find us on Twitter and YouTube at Top Deck Insight. We also have a website, topdeckinsight.co.uk. Now let's get into the episode. So, we added another player to our ever-expanding playgroup this week. Another one. Makes seven? Yeah. Uh, would we go with ever-expanding? Like, surely we're going to stop at some yeah, point. Yeah, I think we're going to stop there, right? We don't have any more siblings. <laughs> I want to well, teach what someone. If, what if... Uh, oh, yeah, what if oh, you, have, you have two what other somebody, siblings, what, by the way, guys. Like, how, how big can we let our pod get? We've probably got... Uh, what we've got... Uh, Eight, seven, eight. seven, seven people seven at the moment mm-hmm. who regularly want to play Commander all yeah. together on a Friday night. <laughs> the thing is, how many people can we have in the pod before <laughs> we have to stop? Well, this is the thing. If we have eight, we can always split it into four. And even right now, we can do four, three. Mm-hmm. I think that's completely fine. Because mm. three-player games are also it's fun. It's going to be a big pod. I don't really want to play seven-player games. It took, no. it, took, it took three hours to play a game when there was four of us. Yeah. Did it? Well, last night? No, but in the past, historically. Mm. Yeah, but like that's like because you play Flicker or some crap. (laughs) Flicker wins quickly. Does does not. You guys get out of my way. It it wins quickly, but it doesn't win. (laughs) Yeah. That's how it works. It it wins when we all want to scoop, which is lame. Mm. Not anymore, though. Yeah, not anymore. Although I was really hoping that I could... um, so with your with the, with your win conditions now because it's all like damage based. I'm I'm waiting for the one day that I can reflecting palm you. Ah, so <laughs> that wouldn't necessarily work though. No, because deflecting palm is one deflecting source. Palm. Yeah. So if you did what you did like when we were at the when we were at top deck in the other day, mm. you flickered like your earthshaker giant tons of times just yeah. for the overkill. But that gives all of my creatures like plus, plus twenty plus, plus twenty or yeah. whatever. So only deflecting palm only negates one of those. Yeah, it's one source of damage. So it would kill you and me. Oh well, yeah. Yeah. Then nobody. Who would win? What happens? It'd be a draw. Be a draw, I guess. Yeah. Draw. That's fine. Which would be better, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I'd be down with that. (laughs) Deflecting palm has been a bit of an all-star in this this last like week of commander that we've played. I I tweeted about this, but um, I was playing against one of the newer players, my little brother. <laughs> he was he so he has the Adrix and Nev, the Simic, Strixhaven Commander Legend no Commander Legends. The new Commander decks, right? Uh the precon the blue green precon one. He was playing that and as like a challenge, I guess, he because you know, because I'm amazing and no one ever beats me. Oh, Jesus um, Christ. We were like, okay, you can pick your seven starting cards. You can pick your hand, <laughs> and he did. He picked a really good hand, uh, a good commander hand. So he had like a turn one soul ring into arcane signet. So land soul ring arcane signet. That was turn one. Turn two was like even more ramp. Loads of loads of ramp. Basically, <clears throat> the end product was like his commander out on turn three, and then turn four he used body of research for two ninety one ninety one creatures, which are. So basically, turn four, he had two ninety-one, ninety-one tokens because there were X. 
where X is the amount of cards in his library. So, you know, in command, that's a crazy card. Um, So, yeah, he got to that point. And then, you know, me having drawn random cards, I drew (laughs) Deflecting Palm. Uh, (laughs) So I was like, oh, no, you beat me. You should totally attack me and finish me off. And then he did, and I used it, and I killed him. No. What he actually did was, which is one of my tricks, was hit the card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He stole the card from my hand and yeah, was like, I don't know where it, it is. I, you didn't. You never cast it. <laughs> and then after he attacked, so I made sure, like, he was like, Oh, are those your attacks? And he's like, Yeah, those are my attacks. Like, okay, then I'm gonna cast Fletching Prime. Like, wait, I haven't attacked yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, I mean, you t- teach him a lesson. Yeah. Teach him a lesson. Welcome yeah. to the world of magic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, that was funny. Um, and the, I think what made it worse is that uh, I actually did the same thing yeah. to him uh, in the game before that. Yeah. I created a new deck and uh, I put Deflecting Palm in it. I've never played with the card before. Mm. Uh, I drew it in the game. He played Body of Research, had two 84-84 fractals on the mm-hmm. battlefield, swung with both, and I chump blocked one, Deflecting Palm the other. Mm. Um, then Sarah decided to Swords to Plowshares, <laughs> the unblocked one, which, uh, which meant that uh, not only did he not lose the game, but he actually gained 84 life <laughs> and then went on to win, I think. Did um, he win the game? No, I think... You won the uh, game, we just right? scooped we it up, scooped didn't we? We scooped because somebody else, another player came. Oh, yeah, we you did. To yeah, we couldn't play, play out the whole player, yeah. That's funny. I think that... Um, yeah, I, I, I think that Deflecting Palm has, for some reason, just been really, really good this yeah, last I, week. Yeah. I realised that it... I, so, I originally was in Akira. It's part of the pre-con for Wyleth, which is mm. what Akira started out as. And I do like the card, but I took it out because I was like, okay, I want to make Akira a bit more focused on equipments and creatures and mostly that. Mm-hmm. But then I was like, I could have the odd instant and sorcery in there. That, and Deflecting Palm seems like one of the best ones because it's... Gideon's sacrifice, but a million times better. Yeah, we've already had the discussion. Josh also accidentally ordered two, so I'm going to put it in Rinny Sari. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did a late night card order. <laughs> so um, And, uh, oh God, I really messed it up. You really like, did. <laughs> I just, uh, so I, I didn't order half of the deck that I wanted. <laughs> uh, so I, I was I was rebuilding my Pauper Affinity deck. That was one of the things I was ordering for. Um, and I didn't buy more than half of the cards that I needed. Uh, I did buy two Deflecting Palms uh, when I only needed one. I bought two copies of Galvanic Relay, one a foil and one an alternate R. Oh my god. Uh, When normally I I only needed one and I wanted to go for just the cheapest one, Uh, I ended up buying the more expensive versions. Uh, Yeah, I I just, I don't know. I I ended up... (laughs) Uh, oh, I bought a Forsaken Monument. Um, yeah, which quite... is also foil, right? Yes, yeah. and, and for some reason, I don't like. I don't actually like foil. I prefer non-foil yeah. versions yeah, of cards. Uh, and I must have paid extra for the yep. foil for yeah. some reason. I don't know. I don't know why. To be fair, the website that we use the, uh, to search for cards and, and buy cards, they have a bit of a sneaky algorithm where if you type the name of the card, the first option that comes up is like the foil and alternate yeah. ones. Mm. And then like the third or fourth one will be like the normal card. So I'm like, maybe they, maybe they just sneak that one in just for the, <laughs> just, for, just to prey on the tired minds of your, like yourself. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. It worked. So it did work. Play. Yeah. yeah did. I, I bought a Japanese to ferry by accident. <laughs> really expensive. Yeah. 30 pounds. <laughs> what? I spent oh, 200 pounds on my Esper deck. Jeez. Jesus! Yeah. I did not. Well, no, I spent less, but because I had a bunch of cards for it. But the deck itself was two hundred pounds, right. and that was a standard deck. That mm-hmm. was that was one of my 
worst heights yeah. of magic i think yeah because you barely you really didn't play it that much did no, you no i didn't i've won like two fnms with it and yeah. one monday night which is a fair amount but like yeah it was very spiky i think yeah. i just wanted to manifest the spikiness you yeah know? get out of your system get it out of my system mm-hmm. and now I've, now i've had that phase yeah. now that phase yeah. is over i'm a i'm a disciplined commander player yeah, yeah. you built your cascade deck for like what 30, 30 27 pounds, pounds. yeah, yeah. Mm. And that's a great deck. I had a lot of fun mm-hmm. with that on Friday. Cascade is super fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. I built the... We talked about this on the last episode, or one of the episodes, my new deck. Um, yeah, it's been performing great. Yeah, really good. Yeah, really like it. Yeah, it's really solid. It, it seems and like a lot of fun. so many upgrades that you could already make to it, which mm-hmm. is a good thing for me, because I don't need to make those upgrades. It's already really good. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's already at the power level that I want it to be. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't have to pay that much for it. So, good. It was good stuff. Yes. And it opens, like, the philosophy, I guess for other people um that especially in our play group you don't need to spend that much on a deck to make Mm -hmm. it really good you definitely Um, don't you can do a lot of good stuff with budget decks mm -hmm. so yeah that's that that's that back to the question i asked though oh yeah (laughs) because we went a little bit oh yeah a little bit of a tangent um you taught somebody to play magic mm-hmm. totally from scratch right yeah you hadn't played never played it before no so how was that it was it was fun. It was good fun. He learned really well. He grafted mm-hmm. it quite quickly. The so what the I use the same method as what Josh did for our, the other player that he taught. Uh, so we've we've each taught a, a new player supposedly. Um, yeah. So we have five monocolored like little starter decks, similar to like the five ones on Arena, um, just to kind of showcase a little bit about each color. I guess like what kind of strategies they normally run. Obviously they can run a multitude of strategies, but like the, the base ones, you know, mm-hmm. what what represents that colour the most. So like with red it was mostly like burn spells and I guess a little bit of like big red spells as well. Just yeah. like not mostly non combat damage I would say. Um with white it was just creatures and like first strike, vigilance, keywords. Um blue was a bit like flying and tempo and counter spells. So yeah, it was really good it was a cool bunch of decks. Yeah, he really liked the mono blue deck. Um, beat me quite a few times with it. A little uh, control player in the making. Mm-hmm, little control <laughs> player in the making, yeah. Um, yeah, he quite liked that. He beat me a couple times with it. Um, and yeah, he grasped the game pretty damn well. I was uh, pretty impressed. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he looked like he had fun. He's been playing Arena as well. Um, yeah. Because we saw from screenshot you showed us the other day. So yeah, good good signs. He learned the Josh rule. He learned the well. Josh rule of always attack Josh because yeah. he sucks. Um, that's just a little house rule we have. Yeah, no one even told him play. that. He just knew it. You guys can totally play with that rule as well. I recommend it. <laughs> even Josh. if I'm not. Even if you're not there. Yeah. Uh, at your table, mm-hmm. feel free. It is the only way to keep me in check as a player. Is if everyone in the world uh, gangs up against me. God. I mean, when well, you guys time? are giving it to me. <laughs> <laughs> when is the last time you, guys you won? Huh? Yeah. When is the last time you won? Actually. Well, how can I win? When, how, 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 how can I win? How can I win when it's six v one? Huh? Well, I think I do a really, really good effort. Ah, uh, say so. It's all about how you play, isn't it? Like, if you play too good, you get attacked first. And I think it's a lot of generally. It's a bit of like flicker hate was, I think, a reason. Yeah, it was was the initial. Can... Yeah. yeah. Uh, generally, I, I do find in Commander that the more an explosive start you have... Mm-hmm. Uh, Quicker your gas out. Yeah, so when it comes to politics in Commander, assuming that you do what you should and treat every game as a blank slate, mm-hmm. um, people form uh, 
friendships and enemies really quickly. <laughs> yeah, they do. Like, you, pro- you can attack someone for two on turn mm-hmm. three, <laughs> and uh, and you have made an enemy for the rest of the game. Yeah, we take that a bit too literal, don't we? I-, I think I think it's very common in Commander. And I think a good way to like get around that is to try those other formats we have tried, where you have like a target. Um, or mm-hmm. you have like a target opponent you need to get rid of first yeah. or something. I think that could make for some really a bit more entertaining, like dynamic, I guess. Because yeah. the dynamics of our games are quite similar. It is a lot of like go for whoever's building their board quickest, kill them, and then wait, see how the aftermath. That's kind of just the game anyway. There's nothing yeah. that specific to our play group. I, that's yeah. That is the game, I suppose. Yeah. But I, I, what I've noticed is that, like, Commander's a bit... I think it's more fun when you're, like, the last two or three players. It feels like you're playing more of a game then. Mm. In, my, yeah. in my personal experience, like, once you once you kill and knock everyone else out, then it's like, oh, now it's me versus you, let's see who can win. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it... Yeah, once it's coming down, it's to, come the down to it. Yeah. So it's weird, like, how do, you, how do you... With that in mind, how do you play the game? Do you wait and do nothing until you're the last one alive or just play really defensively and not attack like I don't know that's boring though. It I is think boring, both of those it? options are boring like there's sometimes when you can't do anything and it's, there's no point but I feel like yeah. if I just waited around because if you play a six player game which we have been mm. you wait long enough for your turn anyway yeah. you then do nothing on your turn pretty boring you're isn't it you just sat there and especially when you know people play Flicker or Storm and they have 20 minute turns <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah um, I don't know I guess I guess we can talk. We could look into formats where even even not even like a whole formats. We could just have like a game where we all assign. We like we like roll a dice randomly, mm-hmm. and you assign like each number to a player, and then that's like yeah. Maybe you have like a kill order, so you can't kill, or you can't like knock out. So you can attack yeah. them, but you can't knock them out before mm-hmm. you knock out this person. We could do something really simple, like yeah. if you last longer in the game than this person, this mm-hmm. random player. Then you win, yeah. or you you've yeah. yeah you've won your victory. Something like that. Yeah, make it less about winning the game, more about winning your own victory. That kind of thing, um, and you know, on a psychological level, the reason that works is because you're establishing that relationship from the beginning mm-hmm. of the game. The so there's there's no vacuum where you have to discover those relationships yeah. um, because often. Like, if there is one person who has an explosive turn, they just become the enemy of the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you kind of set up those relationships from the beginning and, and, and do it at random, it's a better way to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's better than just sitting down at the table and knowing who you like and don't like in real life. Uh, and then using that to determine how you play. I don't think that happens in our play groups, right, though? No, no, it doesn't. But that's nah, I hate you, John. The... <laughs> <laughs> that's the uh i mean yeah you you, you guys you guys did you, you are teaching our new players to just attack me well, no, actually, well, it's not I, actually real i also don't think sam taught that player i think he just said it yeah yeah he thought it up by himself yeah i don't yeah. think because you you told him that yeah that's a good point yeah, yeah you didn't he just turned around so we were playing yeah. a four-player game next to you guys and he just turned around and went oh yeah so i know that it's you have to attack josh first and i, was I like, think yeah i, I personally think it's because people are comfortable with me as a person, and so they're willing to attack me. I think when you're but in a new would... group, you're always a little bit hesitant to attack. That's not, you sound, you say you that know. like you're boasting, but the playgroup was the playgroup was. Largely your family. Okay, yeah, maybe that was a bit of an obvious <laughs> thing to say. <laughs> what did you expect? <laughs> but yeah, anyway. So um, since we've had some new players, mm-hmm. I actually I, I have a couple of. Um, I'm gonna say, uh, like advanced magic 
strategies and tactics and <gasps> things that I think we should talk about. Okay. That um, because I think the challenge that the their concepts that are. Um, Hold on, I just thought of another one. Advanced magic, that's me. Advanced magic. You just sit back. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, some some advanced. Uh, and by advanced, I mean um, beyond just the basic rules of magic. You know, really uh, anything from struggling with the phone there. Yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anything that delves at all into game theory, mm. um, because I think these are concepts that you can't or really hard to teach new players. Mm. And so maybe we should just uh, talk about each of these okay. and talk about the game theory behind them. Mm -hmm. um, I like it. So the first one is mana curves. Why mm. is it better usually? So one of the pieces of advice given to new players is to uh, try to use up all of your mana each turn. Mm. Um, and if you have a play, if you have t a couple of different plays, one of them uses all of your mana. Mm. One of them will use only some of your mana. Mm -hmm. yeah. it's, it's mana efficiency. Yeah, mana yeah. efficiency. Uh, so why is mana efficiency important in a game? Okay, that's a good good uh, question. I think, so the reason we teach new players, or, or the reason new players are taught that way, um, I think it boils down to the very the very first like basic thing you tell people is like, uh, mana costs in spells, or ma the mana value of spells in this game will relate to like their power level, right? Like one mana spells are usually can be quite mm -hmm. weak, and then and it makes sense from a, a game standpoint. Like this, that's, that's not just a card game thing. It makes sense that at the beginning of the game, you're a bit less powerful, and then as the game goes yeah. on, you're a bit more powerful. And I guess that kind of because you don't actually you don't actually teach people about like mana curves. You, mm -hmm. That kind of just embeds into their brain already because it's like it's kind of the natural uh, response to the idea of playing smaller spells at the start and bigger mm -hmm. spells at the end. You want to kind of curve naturally, I'd say. So I'd say like it's it's important and it it kind of it kind of becomes like nature second nature uh, to think that way when it comes to that like with any game um you know in like uh in like csgo or something or like one of those shooters where you buy buy weapons as the game goes on you start out with pistols and then as a round ends you have money to buy better guns it's kind of the same philosophy in every game yeah um so i think that's kind of like naturally embedded into people who play lots of games hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know. What do you go? What do you think? Like, um, I think that with mana efficiency, uh, it links to the concept of resource management, which mm -hmm. is sounds sounds very boring, but is a very important part <laughs> of improving your magic. Yeah. Um, I think that if you if you kind of model it mathematically, if you've got two decks that are exactly the same power level, mm. and they go up against each other across um uh 100 games uh and you know they they alternate who's on the player who's on the draw the player who uses most of their mana across mm. a game is much more likely to win that makes more because sense. they are doing more even though the decks are exactly the same power level or if the decks are yeah, the same power I see level what you mean there, yeah. they're doing more yeah. so the more uh, and so yeah, it's a bit of an abstract concept, but mm -hmm. I think I think what you can boil it down to, if you were trying to explain it to a new player, is that the more you can do, like the more mana-related stuff you can do, uh, the more likely you are to win, the better you are doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, 
and I think that where this gets a little bit more complicated is, uh, so let's say we have a scenario mm. where you have four mana available to you. You have four lands. You've already played one for the turn. Mm. Oh no, scratch that. <laughs> <laughs> you've got five lands. Yeah. Uh, you've already played one for the turn. Yeah. Yeah. You have a four mana spell in your hand. Yeah. And two three mana spells in your hand. Um, disregarding completely the effect of the spells which of course does matter a lot and you know the spell you want to cast depends a lot on the situation but uh, if that's all the information that you've got how do you cast your spells? You would go with the 4 mana one right? Because then next turn you play a land and you have 6 so you can play both of your 3 mana spells. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Precisely. Um and so that also links to another concept, which is thinking ahead, uh, which I think is quite difficult to explain to new players. Uh, and I think that well, I think thinking ahead makes more sense. Like mm. if you can figure out what your next few turns are going to be, then you're at a big advantage. Uh, I think that practicing it, it just comes from playing your deck yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's it's. I I would say like uh, relating to my point earlier, I don't think it's something you teach. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that you naturally pick up and already know yeah so yeah that you teach them like how mana costs work and how the bigger the better obviously but i think from then it kind of naturally just happens mm-hmm. so yeah it's a cool concept um but yeah I, I i don't think you need to teach it to people i think they'll just pick up on that so, i yeah. don't think that i don't think so no uh, no i think that yeah maybe if you play a lot of uh other games. Uh, video games maybe you'd pick up on that automatically i suppose yeah but uh, this is a concept of game theory, uh, which is something that you can pick up if you play a lot of games. Mm. It's also something that you could not pick up. That's uh, a good point. Yeah. And that actually you, you do need to teach. Um, because, yeah, that that's what it comes down to. Like, it is better to do as much with your mana as possible. It's not the only thing you should consider, but it is something that you should consider Yeah. Mm. as a new player. Okay, yeah. Um, what about reading what your opponent is going to do how would you describe you know how would you describe the importance of that skill and how you get started doing it to a new player i think it's important but i think that i think that's too advanced yeah mm-hmm. i i think i know what maybe you guys are going to do but that's just because i play you every week um yeah no i i think it again because we play commander it's a bit less necessary to read what your opponent does because generally the impact won't be that important i guess like Mm. that being said like you could think you know oh maybe i should use my mana this turn but maybe josh is going to do a huge attack so i'm going to hold up to sell the wreckage instead uh maybe he'll play a bunch of creatures and haste them all out or something that that that's like advanced and i think i I don't think there's anything wrong with doing the other option where you just play out and, and not read what your opponent's doing i think it's a very advanced thing and it's more important in competitive magic for sure um, i guess everything is but i don't know i don't think that's something you want to drill down on to begin with at least or for beginner players well a good example is what we talked about just a moment ago mm-hmm. um where we have a player who got uh killed or is killed the right word in magic defeated yeah. uh by a deflecting it's... palm twice yeah. in yeah. one night so do you then show, you know, talk with that player and say, look, Deflecting Palm costs a red and a white to cast. Mm-hmm. Um, there are certain behaviours that somebody might exhibit. 
um, which kind of tell you whether they have a deflecting palm or a counterspell yeah. or a board wipe. If somebody has a board wipe in their hand, then you might see them not commit to the board, which is yeah. a really important part of magic. That's something you can choose to teach, but I think, again, you know, we were never taught that. I think that's something you get from experience. Like, our player has now experienced being deflected palm twice. Yeah. He'll, he'll know that when we have open mana on their turn, or he'll, he'll start to pick up on that at least. If he doesn't know it now, he'll start to pick up on the fact that if a player has open mana and they haven't used a mana on their turn, it's like, oh, maybe this is a risky attack. Maybe I'll just attack with one mm-hmm. creature or something. Uh, like playing around Sail the Wreckage, you just attack with one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I think, again, similarly, I don't think you need to teach that straight away. I yeah. think that is something you'll pick up with experience. I don't no, think you ev- can... Everything that we're talking about is advanced tactics. They're not things that you teach yeah, straight yeah. away. Uh, oh, okay, so we're just how, going how over do them. you teach them? Yeah, we, we've, we've been teaching new people how to play. At some point, they're going to need uh, to be taught how to think about the game in a different way mm-hmm. uh, rather than just the rules and stuff. I think that there's, there's a difference between teaching somebody the rules of how to play Magic the Gathering and how to be good at Magic the Gathering and all these sort of advanced concepts. So how do you approach those? I disagree. I don't think you do teach them the advanced stuff. No one taught you guys. You learn by playing. I don't. I don't think you could mm. sit our new players down, even in a few weeks or however long. Like let's say, Maddie for example, mm. who is someone we've talked about on here before, who's been playing for a while now. I think she's learned that kind of stuff through playing. Mm. Imagine if Sam, you'd have sat her down week two or three, yeah, no. and said any of this stuff. She wouldn't have. It wouldn't have like stuck. She wouldn't have known. I don't think you can teach that sort of thing. If you tried to teach someone all that, it would just go over their head. I don't agree with that. I think by the time you could teach them that, then they would understand it. Mm. They'd know how to do it anyway because they'd know through playing. I think that the existence of professional magic coaches is uh, a point to the contrary. People pay yeah. other people to coach them. Not, n- not a brand new player, though. I think you're already at... I don't think professional magic coaches are teaching players about some of the stuff you're this talking is about. This is, this is a situational thing. Like, I, I think you can teach people advanced tactics, but you also don't... I guess with anything that you teach in magic, you don't need to teach anyone anything, like, tactics-wise. You just need to teach them the game. Yeah. You just need to teach them how, how to how to read, like, mana costs and read cards. And honestly, that's all you actually need to teach. Yeah. The, mm. it, it's the same with anything in the world. Like, you teach people basics, and they can figure out the rest of themselves. They don't have to, which is why they they pay for coaches or they pay mm. for lessons. Yeah. Uh, because it makes it easier. But they still can without any other resources. Yeah, maybe it's you that think, you don't. Yeah. Maybe it's that it's that player's choice. Yeah, it is the player's choice, I would say. Like, if, 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 our, if our players came up to me and said... Sam, I want to know. I want to. Can you tell me? Can you teach me like a few? How more? do I avoid getting deflecting and palmed again? Yeah. How do I avoid getting deflecting palmed? And yeah, then I'll be like, oh yeah. So you know, you look at a bunch of things, blah blah blah. You explain how it works. Um, so but... how? That's what I'm asking. Oh okay. How do you explain how it works to a player who wants to know? I mean, yeah. I am assuming in this scenario that the person that you're teaching mm-hmm. wants to be taught. Yeah, but it's okay. So yeah. So say in that scenario, then like. It is as simple as like when you notice the opponent uh, has a has their open mana and they're not using it on their turn. And even if you don't do anything that turn, you pass a turn and they still haven't used their open mana. Uh, and then they go to them they they go to their turn and un- they untap. Uh, if they haven't used if that mean that indicates that they don't have like a flash creature or anything, mm-hmm. they don't have anything to use their mana. Um, so that 
really like that that is one of the biggest indications of they have something to counter your big attack or something it's something like that i think that you've got uh if you're gonna teach uh somebody who's relatively new to the game these concepts you've mm-hmm. got to boil it down to core lessons uh like mm-hmm. i think that if you just say something like if somebody has red white up be careful that they have deflecting power. oh yeah that that's what you learn from experience yeah. and that's not good enough that's not quick enough um i think that what it boils down to when it comes to reading other people's plays is first understanding what regular good play looks like i.e using all your mana efficiently um and uh uh developing your board you know those are two like solid tenets of playing good magic and if you see somebody not doing those and and playing in an odd pattern i.e not using all of their mana efficiently leaving up mana every single turn um not developing their board but ramping really hard yeah uh then that is your sign that they are planning or that they have something Mm. Uh, and that's how you start to develop your reading skills well that's the thing i think that already is apparent in uh well, the person that I teach, uh, I, I teach, I taught, um, they, I think they already picked up on that. Like, they noticed that I was playing, because I taught them, because they were playing blue first, and that has a lot of incidents, mm. and so they know what their counter spells does. And he was, he, he, he asked me, like, oh, because I was playing white, he's like, oh, do you have counter spells as well? Because I was playing things and then leaving up mana. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. good observation, but no. Uh, <laughs> the answer is no, I don't, I don't have mana tied in there. But, um, yeah, like... He he was ob- he was observing. It's like oh, before I attack or before I play the spell, Sam, do you have a do you have a counter spell? And I'm like, oh, don't worry, I-, I won't have anything like to counter your spell. If I have anything, it's going to be like to kill your creatures. Like okay, then I'm just going to attack. Mm-hmm. I think he already understood that, and that's in the first like twenty minutes of playing mm-hmm. the game. Yeah. Um, so I guess that might maybe he's just gifted that way. Um, but I yeah, like, I think to to teach that concept, you do. You do yeah exactly what you said like comes down to those really core tenets yeah, you've got to core, first core. understand good magic like regular what regular magic looks like mm. and just identify when that pattern is being broken mm. yeah because he was looking at his cards and he was like i could play this four mana creature now or i could hold up my four mana because i have two two mana instants because he yeah. had like a blink of an eye and essence capture mm-hmm. and he was like okay i'm just gonna pass the turn yeah and yeah that was like a demonstration of of that mm-hmm. and he was he saw that in what i was doing as well he's like oh so maybe he has something at flash speed mm-hmm. um so yeah it's as simple as that i guess what about the concept of uh of all of your cards and spells being resources how do you kind of explain elaborate? so the way that i see this uh is that every so you only draw a certain number of cards mm-hmm. um in a, over the course of a magic game and so when you remove all of the fluff, all of the rules, when you really strip the game down to its bare bones, mm-hmm. it is a game of resources. Do your resources um, outmatch your opponent's resources? Okay. If you use a murder to kill one of your opponent's creatures, uh, when you look at that on a really raw resource level, you are using one resource to kill one resource mm-hmm. you're, you're using you're one, one resource one. yeah mm-hmm. it is a one for one removal spell um however you're using three mana to cast murder mm-hmm. what if you cast it on a creature that costs seven mana to cast yeah then you're using three mana 
three mana's worth of resources to deal with seven mana's worth of resources. Yeah. And so the you're using less resources. Mana, yeah. yeah. And you're forcing uh, to, to get to... And so you have kind of... Uh, you're up on resources there. You know, if you're yeah. if you're playing the same power level deck as your opponent and you're not getting, you know, mana screwed or flooded, you're, you're both having a fairly even game, mm. then using three mana to address a seven mana threat puts you up on resources. Yeah. So that, again, is like a... It, it, it's, it's kind of... I don't really know. I don't really know what to say about I that. I think that's a way that a, t- a person's brain works. For me, so I get I get why that's right. I get mm-hmm. that spending three mana to kill something seven mana is great. That is absolutely not how I would play. I don't think that that doesn't exude fun for me to think. Okay, well I have this murder and there's this two mana creature, and it's really annoying me because it can fly whatever. Mm-hmm. But oh, but my thing was three mana, and then that be I'd be minus one reason. No, I yeah. don't like that. I understand why it's relevant, but I think that is definitely. Maybe a play style. I think that's the way someone's brain works to whether or not that would even interest them and whether they benefit from that. Mm-hmm. If someone would have told me that, I would have gone, yeah, I get that. But if there's a seven mana thing, a three mana thing, and a three mana thing is more annoying to me, yeah. I'm not going to care that it's cost me four mana to I get think, rid of I think it. At that point, you're bo- yeah, you, you start to boil it down to just straight mana cost, and that's not what you should do. No. I guess what you're talking about, Josh, about like resources is also being able to evaluate not just how much your card costs but how much your card is worth in comparison to theirs because their as Sarah said like their seven mana creature could be uh, the I don't know a seven mana six six but then they could have a what if they had like a a what would, what would be a good creature I'm trying to think for some reason I can't what if they had a death shadow on board it's a one mana but it's like a 2020 <laughs> you know um, how, yeah like you have to be able to obviously that's a bit more extreme obviously you yeah. would murder the death shadow but you know what I mean? Like, if there's a, it comes down to being able to value, evaluate the overall card itself. Um, it's not just numbers, basically. Yeah, not just numbers. Yeah. Because um, you could even have something. You could have like a mortify, uh, which is a creature or enchantment, and then you're deciding: do I spend three mana to kill their seven mana creature, or do I do it to destroy their rustic study instead? Because maybe that's more valuable. Yeah. Uh, and that costs three mana, so it's like one for one. But you know, you have to evaluate the actual resource value of your cards mm-hmm. uh, and that's again that is actually a bit more advanced i don't think that comes straight away yeah how Sorry. do you do that how do you evaluate the resource value of a card like how do you know that a rhystic study is better yes. than an eight mana creature playing against eight, it eight, eight that's the thing that's, that's what i was gonna say i think it is down to experience yeah um, just playing what do you mean playing against it well because there's so many cards in magic obviously mm. what are you meant to like show people every card and tell them how good it is on a list yeah. like i think you learn by playing against it either what seeing it being played or playing against it so for example in our play groups we have certain cards in everyone's deck that mm. we know if that goes down we almost kind of instinctively know right we need to get rid of that yeah and that's because, because we, we play experience. it all the time yeah yeah you wouldn't be able to coach the the idea that this you can't you can't say oh if your opponent plays a three mana enchantment and a seven mana creature always kill the enchantment because that's not true. Yeah. Uh, but how do you then? Yeah. How do you teach the the way to evaluate that? I think it is experience. Yeah. I don't really like that though. Uh, no. I, I don't like um, you know if uh, a newer player were to ask questions about you know how do you know what to destroy on this board for yeah. example, 
I don't like the answer. Well, you just need to play hundreds and hundreds of games of Magic until it makes sense. I think the I think you can boil it down to theory. Okay, so how? Because what? I think the only thing I can think of. For example, like you, where you said about deflecting palm, that's a specific situation that you can answer. I think widely talking about how you assess the value and stuff of cards is a bit too much to teach. If someone comes and asks you a direct question, mm. you can answer that question and you can probably bring it down to a much smaller subject. So how do you guys assess the value of cards? Let's say we're at a table and somebody, a new player has a kill spell in hand, they cast mm. it and they do that. Fairly typical of new players, they ask, what should I destroy? Yeah. Um, um, and how do you assess the table? What what kind of things do you look out for? So as I was going to mention earlier, like, the thing you can boil it down to is just actually just reading the card. Mm -hmm. um, but the reason I say it's experience is because you don't know what's in their deck, right? You don't know exactly what's in their deck, so maybe this card, maybe this two-mana card is really, really powerful in their deck. But you don't know it because you don't know what they could. For example, Rhystic Study. What if what if you're playing like loads of lands in your deck? Then that Rhystic Study sucks because yeah. you're destroying lands, uh, hypothetically. But um, you know you don't you don't know what kind of value a card could produce until you've experienced it. You can't just say this Rhystic Study is amazing, so kill it. Um, you have to be like it is. It is really difficult. Unfortunately, you can't just boil it down to just read the cards. Yeah. Because if you did that. Uh, yeah, that is a good way to start with. You should read all the cards and see which one is the most threatening. But then they could pick one and it's like, well, actually, uh, what could they? I don't I know. I think that, yes, you've got to read all the cards, but what you've got to look for uh, is... Um, so you've got to be familiar with all the different types of resources in Magic. Mm. Uh, mana is a resource. Life is a resource. Cards <laughs> you draw off of your library... Or cards that you can play from your graveyard. Those are all resources. Right. Those are card advantage resources. And then you've got life and then you've got mana. Yeah. Um, if somebody has something on the board that can take your life total down a, la a massive amount, then that is putting them up on resources because it's taking you down on resources. Mm -hmm. If something has, if somebody has something on the board that can draw them loads of cards, that's putting them up on resources. Mm -hmm. If it's making you discard cards, that's putting you down on resources, which comparatively puts them up. Right. If it's something that makes them a load of mana or stops you from making mana, that puts that person up on resources. Yeah. Sometimes by giving them more, sometimes by taking it away from you. And I think the way that I assess a board is you look at it and you think, what is giving the its most? owner the most okay. resource? And that should be how you assess what is the strongest card on the board. Because you're right, a 5-5 five five is not as strong as a Rhystic Study. Uh, a 5-mana five 5-5 five five is not as strong as a 3-mana Rhystic Study. Mm. But a new player... Uh, yeah, that's how you need to assess it. You know, this this five out of five five could uh, take five of my life each mm. turn. This Rhystic study could draw them two cards a turn. Which of those resources is worth more? Mm. Uh, and that's how you try and assess it. So this is again another thing would be like another example. Say a new player had the option to like let's just say the example is they can discard a card from the opponent's hand and they have two cards in hand. Mm -hmm. One of them is a card that, uh, I don't know, deals 15 damage to your face and you're on 16 life. The other one is a Demonic Tutor. How You don't you don't know what's in their deck, so Demonic Tutor yeah. could be better because the 15 damage won't kill you, 
but you know that's threatening. But the demonic tutor could search for something that deals sixteen damage. Mm-hmm. It that in that in obviously that's a very specific example, and these yeah. are all very specific examples. But what what I guess the point I was trying to make is like you can't really perfectly evaluate something. No, you experience. can't. As a really experienced player, then you're more likely to be able yeah. to. Like if you know your opponent's deck list, you know what. Like if you know what to expect. Yeah, you know what to expect from a, a a demonic tutor, or you know I can take 15 damage and I'll be fine based on what's in my hand, what's mm. in theirs, what's on the board. I can take that damage. Mm-hmm. A more experienced player can assess which of those are stronger. For a newer player, I think you just focus on this is a really good resource. This is also a really good resource. Either of those is therefore a good target. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, and same when you're looking at a board. You don't have to look at everything and decide which is giving the highest resource. Just identify what is what on the what board is, is yeah, what on the board mm-hmm. is is giving high resource, okay. is, is high value, what on the board is lower value. And anything that's a high value target is is worth enough. yeah, it's yeah. worth targeting. So yeah, so what yeah, so what it boils down to is you're not making perfect plays. Yeah. You're not teaching them perfect plays, you're just teaching them good plays. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, that makes more sense then in, in my head. <laughs> um, and then finally, and this is a concept that I think even intermediate and some advanced players struggle to wrap their head around what it actually means and why it's important. Mm-hmm. Tempo. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is tempo in a game of Magic and why is it important? Yeah, tempo is a very rough one to, to even explain, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I don't think I can coherently explain what tempo is. It's just, it's kind of just a thing, isn't it? It's just there, like, um... How, yeah, how do you explain it? It is really hard to explain, but uh, let's say you play a game that's seven turns long. Mm. Playing a four-mana spell on turn four is a lot, lot better than playing a four mana turn uh, a four mana spell on turn five, mm. um, and that is tempo. Uh, so making tempo plays can be slowing your opponents down by maybe bouncing a big creature back to their hand, yeah. or putting a card from their hand on top of their library. It's so there. There is definitely with magic with playing lands and playing bigger spells. And if you play, if you have a good mana curve and you play efficiently as in you're using all of your mana up every turn then you're building momentum that's mm-hmm. that's exactly what it is yeah, yeah. tempo is up. arresting that momentum because i was thinking about what tempo decks exist mm-hmm. which tempo decks do exist and it will be blue mono blue tempo and blue red tempo is a tempo and what they the reason they are tempo decks is because they're flash um mm. and because same with like simic tempo simic flash the reason they are though they, they're called tempo decks is because what they do is they play their land pass the turn mm-hmm. wait to see what the opponent does and no matter what the opponent does they have to use all their mana or not have to but they should use all their yeah. mana if they don't play anything worth countering then you flash in a creature instead right uh, and then if they do place worth something worth countering you don't use your creature but you still need to use your mana so you counter it mm-hmm. and then next turn you do the same thing that's that's getting ahead on tempo mm-hmm. is using your mana yeah, that, that, I guess that what's, that's what it boils down to, is using your mana more efficiently than the opponent. Yeah. You're spending two mana to counter their four mana creature, and then next time you're playing a... You're like, they're, they're afraid that their creature's going to get countered so they don't play anything. Yeah. Then instead, in response, okay, and I play like a uh, Night Pack Ambusher, four mana, four, four, flash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Something like that. So, yeah, I guess that's what tempo is, isn't it? You... Yeah, you're using up all your mana, you're using less mana than your opponent, 
to yeah that's what it that's what it would be yes. yeah and i think that um clever use of tempo can really ruin your opponent like mm-hmm. let's say uh i'm the opponent and i uh i play a one mana spell on turn one and then a two mana spell on turn two mm-hmm. turn three comes around and i have a two mana spell and a three mana spell to play mm-hmm. um and i uh uh, and you bounce my two mana spell back to my hand. Mm. And now it's turn three. So I guess I, I I play my three mana spell and then turn four, I want to play both of my two mana spells. Mm. Actually, that's all right. That's, that's, that's fine. Not, yeah. not gone to, <laughs> I think a better, better example of that, that would be, a better example would be when they, when they play their one and then their two, and then on turn three, their three mana spell gets countered or, or it gets dealt with. So on turn four, all they're playing is a two mana spell, mm-hmm. which means they've got their four lands, but they've only been using two mana on turn four. Whereas if they did that on turn three, if they played a two mana spell on turn three instead, and then on turn four, they played their three mana spell, there's lots of numbers involved. Very, yeah, oh, yeah. That's gotten very confusing. <laughs> it's gotten Tempo is a really, it can be really, really difficult to wrap your head around. Yeah. But I think what it really boils down to is that if you play with general good basic principles in magic, mm. in having a good mana curve and using your mana uh, every like efficiently every turn for the first few turns, you really start to build up momentum and get to where you're trying to get to a lot more quickly. Mm. Tempo is about disrupting that and controlling that in your opponent. Um, because if you disrupt it at just the right time, it can delay them by one or even two turns, Mm -hmm. and that does actually make a massive, massive difference in Magic. One or two turns can be huge, can be a huge, huge difference. That is why taking an extra turn can be such a devastatingly powerful strategy. Um, Like, if you're able to basically... Uh, for you know the cost of a two mana spell, make your opponent's entire turn four or five a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a tempo. Uh, yeah. You know that w- that would be a tempo play, and that can be really really effective. For just it just completely disrupts the momentum of your deck. And that's why uh, I would say, like for example, the cat the cat oven combo that used to be in standard. That's why it was so powerful. It's because it completely circumvents the whole tempo rule. Yeah. Because it's a free engine every single turn mm-hmm. like whether or not your opponent does something about how much mana you spend so like, okay well i'm also going to drain you for one and, yeah. and draw a card so that's fine mm-hmm. it doesn't it, it doesn't affect you that much which is why that card was broken yeah um and yeah so yeah it, it's a really cool concept um and yeah that's pretty much it like as long as you can cheat your mana you'll be fine <laughs> as long as you can cheat in magic you'll, you'll be fine against tempo yeah i think uh those are just a few like advanced if you, concepts. Yeah, if you start to look into like how to really get better at magic, those are concepts you'll come across. Man of value, efficiency, resources, tempo, mm-hmm. um, and it's worth at least being familiar with what they are because they can feel quite difficult to understand to yeah. begin yeah. with. Uh, so I'm glad we talked about those. Yeah, that was mm. a good, good little conversation. So new AFR spoilers. I guess we won't go over all of the cards that have come out because I think there's going to be quite a f- well this week I think the spoiler season starts right so next week there should be like plenty of cards to talk about only three mm-hmm. dungeons though yeah yeah that's what I'm saying so we'll only talk about those uh, new a new mechanic I guess uh, which we have seen on a card before we knew what um, venturing into the dungeon we knew it was a thing but now we know what it actually is how it works how yeah. it works 
Um, what was our prediction on it actually? Do you remember? Do you remember? We had a little prediction of what Adventure into the Dungeon would be. We did. Um... I said it would be similar to like Yu-Gi-Oh field cards, right? Oh, did I? Maybe I didn't. Maybe, and I, I, we thought maybe it could be similar to like flipping a card. Um, yeah. You know, like transforming cards. Yeah, and it goes mm. on like an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, <laughs> Eldrain, <laughs> Eldrain flashbacks. But yeah. Um, so the for those who aren't aware, I guess the mechanic venture into the dungeon. So what it specifically does is you either enter a dungeon or you progress to the next room uh and now what is a dungeon <laughs> so <laughs> there are three dungeons being added to the game and they're printed on like cards i guess and everyone has access to all three of them uh in every game so a bit like tokens but yeah, more like emblems yeah they can't i would say they're more like emblems with. they can't yeah. be interacted with they're yeah they're like an emblem you're right um Every player has access to all three of them. I think you can only, you can't go through the same dungeon twice, right? So once you've used one dungeon, you have to go to the next one. Okay. I, I think, don't think. I don't. So I didn't I actually think watch you can the video. Same one as much as you. As much Do as you know what? Nor did I. So I'm actually just completely. Guessing we're, yeah, it. we're not going to talk about that. We don't. We're not informed enough on that. <laughs> um, you should definitely check out the YouTube video that Magic or Wizards has dropped about it. They explain it way more. But what they've said, or what I know so far, is that there's three dungeons. That's all the amount there is going to be. There's only three dungeons. They each do different things on them, um, and the general sort of idea is that you, you know, you begin small, you enter the first room, you do something. Each time you enter a room or venture into the dungeon, you do you get some other kind of uh, effect. And at the end, there's like a big payoff, more mm-hmm. or less. Um, and you're, yeah, so what do you guys think of the mechanic itself? Like, how, how would you sort of place it in magic? Like, I, okay, let me elaborate that question. <laughs> Like what? What? Yeah. What do you guys think of? Do you think it's a core mechanic? Do you think they could have done it better, or what do you think? I think it's cool. Yeah. I think I would have liked more dungeons. I I think because having looked at the commander decks, right, one of them is supposed to be dungeon based. Yeah. So the fact that there's only three of them for them to access in a hundred card decks feels kind of yeah, lame. Yeah, not enough. A little bit lame. Yeah. Um, Definitely. I don't know whether they're planning on making more in future. Mm. Whether it. Uh, dungeon is going to be like a deciduous mechanic that comes back in future sets but i don't think so having only three does seem very limited Mm. and they're not super exciting um we might find that there are some cards that do some really exciting things if you've completed enough dungeons and that could make them a lot more appealing but the dungeons themselves aren't super powerful they seem to be of the power level that you'd expect from a mechanic that's kind of happening uh so uh, i'm gonna say happening anyway so landfall for example is a mechanic where you get rewarded Mm -hmm. for something that you're gonna do anyway i get what yeah yeah, i think what you're saying is like mechanics that are basically free yes Um, because that's why landfall is powerful landfall is broken (laughs) um like there are some insanely powerful landfall effects but if landfall were to be i would say completely evenly or, or even possibly underpowered if you look at even or underpowered landform cards mm. um that's how i would describe the power level of these dungeons yeah for mm. sure yeah because because you're right the dungeon mechanic is basically free like it's usually on enter the battlefield or an attack so your creature's already going to enter the battlefield yeah. it's already mm-hmm. going to attack well most of the time um so it's just a bit extra for something extra, you're already yeah. doing 
Um, so yeah, it, it. I think that's why they underpowered it because mm-hmm. it is a free mechanic, and I think with you know, Landfall is very powerful. In the past, it has been. Uh, I want to say it's too powerful now with Zendikar. I don't think it's taken off as much as we expected it to. It's very with powerful. Omnath. Like if you consider. Oh yeah, Omnath was you, insane. If you consider Omnath, uh, even though it's it, right? Like yeah. Brushfire Elemental, Kazandu Mammoth. Those are the only like notable landfall cards, and they yeah. are powerful. But um, yeah, moving on from that, uh, we we'll see. We'll see. There there is definitely ways for this to be very powerful if you can. If you can very efficiently complete a dungeon, if there's a bunch of like one mana and two mana cards, I reckon that say like venture into the dungeon, mm-hmm. I think it would be good enough. Say if it's like a one mana, scry one venture into the dungeon, maybe that'd be pretty good. Like instant speed, mm-hmm. maybe a little better than, maybe not as good as opt, but yeah, I was gonna say, you know, if you have the choice between drawing a card and, and venturing. venturing into the dungeon, it depends on how good it is though. Like, because, you know, Venturing as a Dungeon could draw you a card anyway, like... Yes, that's true. Some of them do have draw a card on them. Some of them have gain one life on them. Maybe you have a... Maybe there'll be a printed creature that is, like, a one mana whenever you venture, get something out of it. Yeah. So, like, whenever you yeah, venture, true. gain two life, or whenever you get venture, draw a card, Whenever you like venture, that. venture again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something well, like that. That would be nuts. I want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Double venture. But, yeah, so... There is definitely ch- ways for this card to be... Or for this mechanic to be very powerful... But considering, I guess, recent sets with like Strixhaven, I, I would assume the power level won't be too high. And also, I'm basing it off of Flumph. Yeah. Being, <laughs> Flumph being the zero man, the two mana, zero four defender flying rare. The fact that it's a rare is just. <laughs> that, that shows me the power level already of the set. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, so we'll see what happens. We'll see for sure. There have been, like, in Strixhaven, there have been a bunch of, a couple of powerful cards for sure, like Expressive Iteration, mm-hmm. one of them is an uncommon, that's selling for loads now, it's like five or six pounds. Oh. Yeah. Um, one of the most powerful, have you seen you seen that card? I think so, yeah. Yeah, it's effectively a two mana draw two, right? So I would describe it as a two mana draw two and a half. Two and a half, yeah. Yeah, because mm. you exile one card and you can play it to the end of the turn, so if you exile land, you can play it, that's as good as drawing a land. Uh, you actually draw one of the cards, and then you ca- you put one of them back into your library. Yeah. It, you look at the top three and okay. have the choice to do with any of those, so which is very powerful. It is, in my opinion, it's better than drawing two because it is basically drawing two yeah. cards, um, and it, then also yeah. kind of scrying one. Or because of the selection, I would say it's two and a half. It's, it's <laughs> looking at the top three and then drawing two. Yeah, that's what it is. It's like strategic planning, but f- so much better. Mm-hmm. Strategic planning, yeah, you look at the top three, put one into your hand. This is effectively look at the top three, put two into your hand. Yeah, yeah. for the same uh, amount of mana. For the same amount of mana. So and, really and you good. can play the card as well, so you can pick a land and play that as your land protection. Yeah. Very, very powerful card. Seeing play in like lots of sets right now. Yeah. Um, it's really cool lots to see that. Formats. Really cool to see that it blew up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's inherently overpowered either. I like cards that are powerful and not like pushed and overpowered. Yeah, because it's quite hard to cast. Being yeah. red, like it has to be red and the blue on turn two, yeah. which is quite tricky to. And even if you get. play it on turn two, that's actually worse value out of it. Yes, because you can't because you can only you can you only need. exile the card and play it until end of turn. Yeah. So if you pay two mana yeah, to not. play it on turn two, you can't really play the card unless mm-hmm. it's well, you mm-hmm. can't even play it if it's a land because you played your land. Yeah, so it's actually better on turn three. So that's but kind of a, it's a clever way. It's a clever drawback to design a card. Late, like in the later game, it is two mana draw two and a half. Yeah. In the early game, it's a two it's mana draw one. Yeah, and a you're half, right. Maybe it is a cool card for yeah. that reason. Um, 
but yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that's an old set. <laughs> um, so yeah, maybe we'll see the similar kind of pattern with this AFR set. Mm-hmm. I think that it'll be a really fun set to draft. As a set by itself, it'll be really cool, but I don't think it'll be too powerful. And there will be a couple of cards that are very, very powerful. I think it could be fun to draft because draft is slower. Yeah, and, um, and just less powerful in general. And yeah, the the adventure, the vent, the dungeon mechanics, mm. the venturing mechanic seems very slow. Yeah, it seems like um, even if it was every time you play a land venture, oh, um, <laughs> you still like even in a landfall deck, you're still only going to get through what three or four dungeons in a game. Yeah, you're gonna at the most. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't seem really, really, really broken. Yeah, I was gonna say if 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 this is like a draft mechanic, you're gonna want to be able to draft a deck that can venture basically every time. Yeah, and that's gonna be good. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you that's go through like 10, 11, ones. 12 turns, you're going to have gone through two dungeons. Mm. So it seems slow, really yeah. slow. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah. See how, how the, the, the meta mm-hmm. shapes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the set overall. We'll definitely cover more cards as they come out, um, either next week or the week after. Kind of get it all done in one, I think, yeah. is a good yeah. idea. Um, but yeah, that's all I have to say for it. Unless you guys have anything else. It's looking good, though. I'm liking the flavour of the set. Yeah. It looks oh, fun. Yeah. As, as the D&D player of our group, <laughs> you, you seem to be having a lot of fun with... Uh, yeah, it, it looks super cards. cool. Uh, all the dungeons are named after uh, famous D&D modules, like Lost Minds of Fandelva is the starter module for 5th edition. Mm. Uh, and then it's what Tomb of Annihilation, which is like a notoriously difficult, very combat-heavy dungeon Sounds crawler cool. module. Mm. Uh, and then is it, is it Tower of the Mad Mage? Some, something to do with Mad, mad, mad Mage. mage yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, <laughs> lots and lots of <laughs> lots and lots of uh, homages to D&D, which is kind of what, what you would expect. Is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it's very yeah. cool to see. Yeah, that is what the set is all about, mm-hmm. isn't it? Um, so yeah, that's, that's all there is, I suppose. Yeah. Well, that's Ready up to, for today. Ready to wrap it up? Yeah. <laughs> I think that uh, the oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh no! <laughs> yes, yeah, gone. It's gone. <laughs>